bow our knees before you in this place this morning through the opening of our ears and our heart to your word. God, as we look at the cross and what the cross meant to us, but also, Lord, the resurrection as you have gone to that place that you are preparing for us, Lord, and that you are even seated upon the throne, that, Father, we would once again have strength in our present life, understanding the surety of our salvation. And so, Father, just teach us and instruct us. Bless us with the knowledge of your word. We just ask for this day that you'd be glorified. I pray for the women at the women's retreat, that you would bless them. I, I pray as they're starting their study there right now, Lord, that you would speak through my wife who's teaching, and I pray for a safe return home. And so, Lord, we just lift all to you, once again, thanking you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbors? Oh. You're witless? Oh, that's right, yeah. You're broke? A couple of things. First, we are not having high school today. (laughs) I see some kids going back. Your turn. Um, the reason we're not having high school, and we're going to pray about this in just a minute, Chris and Cynthia Darby, who are youth leaders, their daughter Celeste, Celeste is 16, 17, somewhere in there, she has a very severe ear infection. I can't remember what it's called, what she had, but it travels to the bone behind your ear, and it's very serious. Serious enough, I imagine she was in great pain enough that they had to give her some morphine and a pretty strong antibiotic, and so they were at the hospital all night last night. And so let's lift Celeste up in prayer. Father, we do lift up Celeste to you, and as she's at home right now, I pray that you would give her peace and comfort, but Father, we just pray that you would heal her. And so, Father, just restore her back to health. I pray that this infection has no effect upon her hearing, and God, she would just find rest and peace in the knowledge of who you are. We lift the Darbies to you. We thank you for their faithfulness and ministry again, Lord, that you would simply bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 23. And if anybody arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Everybody's good? Psalm 23. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Now, once again, I pointed out previously, but the titles, now it says the title for Psalm 23 would be a Psalm of David, that would be King David. The titles are part of the inspired word of God, and so we get a little bit of insight from the titles as well, so we can understand that this Psalm is from King David, more than likely, I'd even say for sure, referring back to the days when he was a shepherd and just writing of the things that he's experienced both as a shepherd boy, as a king, but more, more than that, as a child of God. Psalm 23, verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Father, we see David speaking in the first person here, Lord. He's taken this in a very personal way and grasped it to his heart. I pray, Father, that we would embrace your word, these words even today, and understand, Lord, this isn't about a man so much speaking about his relationship. This is a man speaking about the relationship that we are all to have when we make the Lord our shepherd. And so, Father, we just pray for the next bit of time that you would teach us and instruct us. Guide us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. We started the series a couple of weeks ago. We're looking at what I've entitled the Psalms of the Cross, and my intent is to make it an Easter primer. So many times when we come into these different seasons within the church, we know that they're coming on the calendar in this particular case when we celebrate the Lord's resurrection, Easter, and we know that's coming, and all of a sudden it's here and it's gone. Well, God's got an important message. For some reason, God has had us put that date upon the calendar, and I know so that we would never forget. We would never forget what occurred upon the cross, Good Friday. That's what makes that Friday so good. And also, on the day that the Lord was resurrected, that these dates would always be before us. And so, I just thought this year that we'd spend a little bit of extra time as we're in between books. We just finished Titus, and I usually go to an Old Testament book in between just to keep that working knowledge of the Bible ever before us, but just to look at these psalms. We've been looking at psalms, well, the last two weeks we looked at Psalm 22. Today we'll be in Psalm 23, and then next week, Psalm 24. Each of these psalms, now, if you ever read through the psalms, a a lot of times, matter of fact, the majority of the time, as you read through the psalm and you come to the end of one chapter, the next chapter will pick up where the previous chapter left off, or at least the thought. If you want to get a general idea on what the psalm is talking about, read the first verse and read the last verse. It's real interesting the way the Lord worked this out through the various authors that, are, that have written the psalms, but they all fit together. We know it was the Holy Spirit. And so these three are tied together progressively in relation to the crucifixion. We saw that in detail, again in Psalm 22. The resurrection in Psalm 23, at least the results of the resurrection, the ramifications of the resurrection on our lives, and then we'll see the ascension next week in verse 24. In Psalm 22, we saw our dying Lord on the cross and the relationship between He and the Father. We saw that picture of that very private time, exactly what was going on. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as the foolishness of the message. Why would this message be considered foolish? Well, foolish to the wise of the age, because they would be looking at Christianity. Who's your philosopher? Our philosopher, we would respond, is Jesus Christ. Well, wait a minute. Your philosopher for life got hung upon the cross and killed? Yeah, but as your philosophies, the philosophies of the world... As they fall apart at the point of death, you got an improper perspective of death here when it comes to Jesus Christ because ours, ours starts at the point of death. Ours meets us at that place where all of humanity is helpless and powerless to do anything about his situation. Ours meets us exactly where we need to be met. And so we looked at what was happening upon the cross, and maybe it looked to the world as foolishness from the exterior, but in the interior, we saw the fulfillment of that powerful plan of the Lord Jesus Christ as He fulfilled the Father's plan to the glory of God. 
So today in Psalm 23, we have a Savior who, although He died upon the cross, He didn't stay dead. As a matter of fact, He had risen from the dead. We have this picture of our risen shepherd, He who was killed but now lives. Job, Genesis is the oldest book written about book in the Bible. Job is the oldest book as far as the oldest written book of the Bible. And what I mean by that is it it occurred before a lot of what was written. It it, it was written, let me say this this way, it was written before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now Moses wrote about what happened before Job, but Job is the oldest written book of the Bible. And we see in here the gospel, what I'm talking about in these three Psalms, perfectly laid out as Job wrote in verse 19, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 25, for I know, he's got a surety about this, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will at last stand on the earth. He knows that he has a Redeemer, he knows that his Redeemer lives, so that tells me at some point his Redeemer must apparently died. This is something he knows, the just shall walk by faith, and at last he will stand on this earth, even though he has left, he's going to come back. You've pretty much got the whole gospel contained there in verse 25. Now next week we'll look at Psalm 24 and see the ascended Lord who sits in glory. But as far as today, we see the Lord who has been risen from the dead and is able to work in our life. Because just as as important it is to know what was going on on the cross that day, it's that peace to know that our sins were being taken care of. It's also important that we know We know, or we believe, with the same surety that apparently Job did, that our Lord is in heaven, He is alive, and He is ruling. Because if not, you're at the mercy of the mess that we see going on across the world this day. And again, you can... You hear the complaints about who's in the White House, who's in the Kremlin, and who's here in in Congress, and then we can even whittle it down to our situations and circumstances, and everything's out of control. No, as my wife says, everything's falling into place. Everything is falling into place because God is still seated upon the throne, and in actuality, what we are seeing, even today, we're seeing God's plan being worked out. Because Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, Never are things beyond his control. Things are going on according to the will of God. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. He's going to go to the cross. This is just moments before the cross, hours before the cross. And his disciples who have cast their whole lives with him are now going to see him upon the cross. And he said, hey, let not your heart be troubled. It's going to seem like everything's going out of control here. Let not your hearts be troubled. You're going to be overwhelmed by trials and tribulations, but let not your heart be troubled. He's talking to the apostles to as Jesus Christ is going to be crucified, and we see this play out because they're going to lock themselves into an upper room just as surely as they came for Christ. They're going to come for me. Let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. And so he's telling them, don't be troubled by what you see here on this earth. This is God's plan playing out. And he's telling them, 
I've got something better. Just as surely Christ, in essence, is saying, as I died, but I was resurrected from the dead, you're going to die. There, you know, the apostles, every one of them died. Every believer who's ever existed in the past has died. One day, barring the rapture, we're going to die as well. Let not your heart be troubled. Christ has prepared a place. Your children are reading about Noah and the ark. Noah, up until this time, he's got a very tragic life story, one that's kind of ignored. It, it says in verse 5 of, of, of uh, Genesis chapter 6, it won't be on the board, but it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent in the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then in verse 8 it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that's a good thing, don't get me wrong, but why would somebody need grace? Because they're a sinner. Noah was due the same judgment that the people of that earth, that walked the earth during that time who perished in the flood, he was due that same judgment. What set him apart that he would receive grace? Verse 9, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Well, how could he be a sinner and just and perfect? Well, the only way that we can be justified, the only way we can be perfected is having a heart for the Lord. Noah was a sinner, but he had a heart for the Lord and the things of the Lord. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. God had Noah build the ark, and when it was time to enter into the ark, what did God tell him? Most of you know, we've talked about this before. He didn't say go into the ark. He said, come into the ark. One day, through death or rapture, Jesus is going to tell you, come on to me. Come to me. And he's going to bring you, and he's going to seal you for all eternity. You're not deserving of that, but if you're a born-again believer, you found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And isn't it an amazing thing? Isn't it an amazing thing that it can be? We can see things in such upheaval, and God could give us such peace in the midst of that. That's supernatural. That's divine that's our God, and, and it's a result of the great love in which God has for all of us that we would be called children of God. And so we need to know and we need to understand the ramifications of these things, that the Lord is able to move and interact in our daily lives, and he didn't say, just see you later, hope you make it into heaven, but he is with us and able to move to such a degree that he's able to keep us even during the most evil of days when everybody is doing what is right in their own sight. Again, verse 1, a psalm of David. Keep it in mind, as I said before, David was a former shepherd in his younger days before he became king, and he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a very powerful statement. The Lord is my shepherd not was, not maybe will be, the Lord is. Now, if you look at that word, Lord, in my Bible, it's all in caps. When it's all in caps, it's in reference to the tetragrammatron Yahweh. Yahweh, you would take it back to Exodus chapter 3, when God was displaying himself as the God who is. And so what David is saying, the God who truly exists, because there's many false gods that man have fostered out there, but the God who truly exists, he's saying, is my shepherd. And, and so that could be in rebuttal to, at least perceived, the people who believe that they're the master of their own destiny, that they're their own shepherd. 
or, or they have some philosopher who's their shepherd, some guru who's their shepherd, whatever it might be, David, in the midst of all of that, is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Look very closely and seriously at your life. Can you honestly say that the Lord is your shepherd? That the God who is, is the one who directs the affairs of your life? Are you still holding on to that? Are you still grasping on to that? Or are you seeking wisdom from other sources and other directions? For King David, and we'll see the ramifications through the rest of this psalm, he says, the Lord, the God who is, is my shepherd. The God who is, is the one who cares for me and watches over for me daily. To the reader of the Old Testament, this ties this shepherd to God Almighty, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God who protected and watched over Joseph even in the midst of the hardship that he experienced. This is the God who delivered Israel from Egyptian captivity and the one who gave Moses his word that we would be able to, well, we'd be able to come to the knowledge of our sinful state and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's the one who delivered his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think even today. The one who is our shepherd possesses all the might, power, and glory for his purposes in us and through us. We can sell ourselves short because of our abilities, but in Christianity it's never about our abilities, it's about the abilities of God through us. It's about having an obedient heart as we recognize that God who truly is, is my shepherd. And as I come to grips with that, I understand that who can harm me, who can stop me as long as I'm moving forward in what God has called me to do. And, and, and don't think of going to go out and plan a megachurch kind of a thing. But I'm just saying in, in your daily lives, as far as a spouse, as far as ministering to a spouse, as far as raising children, those are the hardest things that I've done in my life. I mean, you, two people get married together, two become one, now you've got two sinners. And you've got two people who are together that never do I have to die to myself more than I do in marriage. That's just a reality. I, if I'm selfish in my marriage, then that marriage isn't going to last long. And, and then, these two sinners that are joined together, they produce a bunch of little sinners. And it, just, and it just brings this next stage of hardship. But if the Lord is your shepherd, He's going to enable you to do those things. He's going to enable you to minister to one another. He's going to enable you to raise up children. And then you start looking at every aspect of your life and the calling that God has given you. And God is going to enable you in that. And He's going to care for you as you go through that process. The shepherd that we have is past eternal, all-powerful, ever-existent, all-knowing, and holy as he possesses the unattainable pureness of the Father. You have the ultimate shepherd who will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. A few attributes of a shepherd. Well, in order to have a flock, shepherds got to purchase a flock. And you've been bought with a price. You've been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, you were bought at a price, therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And we see that perfect picture in the book of Revelation, chapter 5. There's John, and he's looking to see who is worthy to take the title deed of the earth. In verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 1, 
And I saw on the right hand of Him who sat on the throne, that would be God the Father, a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seal, to take possession of all of this? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept with much, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. And so there's this moment of despair here as John sees that everything is helpless. But, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. Your shepherd prevailed. Where did he prevail? He prevailed upon the cross. He achieved great victory for his sheep upon the cross. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and on the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the throne, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, a fresh awareness of who Jesus Christ is. And so we have to understand, we have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. My point here is, you are His. You are His purchased possession. Secondly, the work of a shepherd, it requires humility. A shepherd was considered to be one of the lowest tasks that somebody could do in a Jewish society. It was the lowest of all work. David, he, why was he the shepherd? Because he was the youngest in his family. I would imagine had been passed from son to son to son, and he was at the end of the line, and so he was the one who had to take the sheep up to the upper upper country. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus, he, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even in the death on the cross. He humbled himself so that you would not have to be humbled. The work of a shepherd is one of constant care. It's a 24-7 job. Hebrews 13, 5-6, Let your conduct be done without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? You're just like a three-year-old. A three-year-old left to himself just wanders off into trouble, but God is always with you. He always cares, he is always there, watching over us in every situation and circumstance. Just as Jonah. Remember Jonah? He was called to go to Nineveh. Didn't want to go. It says what God called him to do, but Jonah, he was going to the ends of the earth. He was in the bottom of the ship. He thought he was hiding from God. He thought he was running for God, or at least that he could run from God. But God found him there, and I thank God that he has found me even when I have tried to hide from him. The good shepherd, the good shepherd he knows his sheep in a very personal way. In Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7, it says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. God had a party in heaven on the day that you were saved. The times when you walked away from the Lord but repented and came back, there was joy in heaven over that. God doesn't just look over His sheep. He doesn't just look over the flock. He looks over the individual. That's why we see the divine attributes of God, that He is all-present, all-knowledgeable. It's not to bring judgment upon His people. It's to bring care upon His people. God cares for you. Fifthly, the Good Shepherd, He dedicates His life to the sheep sacrificially. John chapter 10 Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. There's plenty of shepherds out there, but he is the ultimate. He is the one and only good shepherd. Back to verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, what is going to be the results of this? We're told here, David says, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I shall not want. For the person whom Yahweh, the God who truly exists, is his shepherd, he will lack for nothing. There will not be anything as far as needs that you will ever lack for. Any need that you have ever had up to this point, because I can't speak in the future, although I have the confidence that I can, God has provided for every need you have ever had. He may not have given you everything you've ever wanted, thank God for that, but He has given you every single thing that you have ever needed, and I bet you if we examine your lives, He's even gone above and beyond your needs. He's truly blessed us. We need to understand that, we need to embrace it, and we need to rejoice in it. As God is my shepherd, I shall not want all of our needs. Matthew 6, 33, seek first. Make God the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness to live a life that glorifies him. And all of these things, he had previously been talking about needs, will be provided for you, will be added to you. Sheep sheep are animals that are completely dependent upon their shepherd for all of their needs. I mean, think about it. Sheep, what defensive mechanism do they have? They're white. They're out in the, in the field. They stand out like a sore thumb. There's no camouflage there. I don't know if sheep have teeth, but they don't have fangs. Have you ever heard of anybody who has been mauled by a sheep? I mean, nobody, sheep are coming, run! I mean, you just don't hear about things like that. Matter of fact, they're like nature's dessert. I mean, they're helpless, and animals seem to enjoy killing them and eating them. Uh, They introduced wolves back in Yosemite, and the the shepherds who were on the perimeter of the Yosemite National Park had some big issues. The sheep were coming in, I'm sorry, the wolves were coming in and killing their sheep. Matter of fact, they weren't even eating their sheep. They were just killing them for practice, for sport. I mean, sheep are the most defenseless of animals that there truly are. They're completely dependent upon their shepherd for all of their needs. They're dependent for their food or their nourishment, water, refreshment, shelter, protection. And the good shepherd, he provides for all of these things. And so we can laugh at the sheep, but we've just been told, you're as defenseless as one of those sheep. 
Spiritually speaking, apart from your good shepherd, you're defenseless. That's why we spend time in the word and we live a holy life so that the shepherd, the shepherd, the great shepherd will enable me in what he has called me to do. That I wouldn't step outside of the will of God because if I step outside of the will of God through pride, maybe even for a good cause, but, but through pride, I render myself vulnerable, vulnerable to attack, vulnerable to the wiles of the devil. But as I'm in or under the shadow of God's wings, God provides for me. We're told in Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches by Christ Jesus. So what we'll see for the rest of the study here is, is six ways that the shepherd provides for the needs of his sheep. Six things that, if you're honest with yourself, don't allow your wants to cloud the reality of your needs. Six things that, if you're honest with yourself, you'll see that God truly does move in your life. Now, that's important. Let me preface it with this. It's important to know and to understand that God moves in your life. You must see his hand. A general illustration, this church. This church, when we started out, I just simply saw a series of miracles that God did for the purpose of planting this church. Now then, they were just amazing things, and I really saw that this was the hand of God, but that was essential, because after we planted the church, there were some pretty hard times. There were some pretty difficult days. And there's times when you even question, am I a pastor? Should we even be a church? I mean, does God even really have reason or purpose for this church? But then you think back, well, why would he start a good work and not be faithful to complete it? And, and so there, there, there's justification, and what do you mean by justification, or maybe I should say validation in that, so that you know that God's hands is in it. So look back for you the day of your salvation, the day that you were saved. God didn't save you just to cast you off. He saved you to bring you close. He, he's done works in your lives and just things that you know that were of God, and, and all that lends to the justification or the validation that God is moving in your life and God cares and he's got a plan. Now, sometimes we move off and we wander away and it seems, where's God? No, it's, where are you? And it's necessary for you to come back under the shadow of his wings. But these things we need to see and we need to be honest within our lives so that we know and we're reminded of the existence of God in our lives. And so the first thing that I want to look at is in verse 2. David says, because the Lord is my shepherd, and all these things are based upon the Lord being his shepherd, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. The idea here is those whom the Lord is their shepherd, they will receive rest. Now, I'm sure that we have it in the bookstore. We're not here to sell books, but um, if you've never read it, I strongly encourage you to read A Shepherd's View of Psalm 23. It's by Philip Keller. It's an excellent book. Uh, Philip Keller is a pastor, but he's also, he also owns sheep. And so he's got some very interesting insight into this psalm. But he had said, in order for sheep to be made to lie down, four requirements must be met. This is his experience. They must be free from fear, must be free from friction, must be free from torments, and must be free from hunger. They must feel safe. There can't be anything irritating them. 
torments, such as wolves in the area or whatever it might be, and then hunger. They have to be taken care of. It's then that they will find contentment. A green pasture, a green pasture is the ideal place for sheep to go and to feed. It's the most nutritious, and it's just simply the best grazing ground. They offer the best in sheep comfort. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Jews. The Jews, well, they labor and they're heavy laden. Why? Because they're trying to keep the law. And it's not just the law. It's also the traditions that have been piled on top of the law. It's an impossible thing to do, but they're running 100 miles an hour and they have absolutely no rest. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Quit trying to work out your, your, religious, your religious life. Come to me and you're going to find peace. Quit trying to be perfect. You can't be perfect. Come to me, Jesus says. Quit going according to that person or this person or that person. Develop your relationship with me and it's then that you're going to find rest. Because anything else, you're going to find fear, you're going to find friction, you're going to find torment, and you're still going to be left hungry for the truths of God. Keller says, sheep find comfort in the presence of his shepherd. The knowing the one who has provided for them is going to be the one who will always provide for them. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? The sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The context is sheep that have been brought into a stall into the city and they're all intermingled with other people's sheep. When the shepherd goes to get them, he just speaks, he calls them, and then he leads and the sheep follow. It's a fact that sheep, you know, you've heard of cattle drives. Have you ever heard of a sheep drive? No, sheep will not be driven. They're not that kind of animals. They develop that relationship with their shepherd. They know the voice of their shepherd. They, and we're told in John, and this is the word of God, they're not going to follow anybody who's not their shepherd. So that's why they would intermingle them all, but then just call them out and just start walking, and then the sheep are going to follow. Why? Because they know that that is the one who's going to take care of their needs, and that is the one who is going to give them comfort. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. It's for those who are following Him. Now, I would imagine that there always had to be the rebellious sheep. The rebellious sheep in the herd, no, flock. The rebellious sheep in the flock that, although they're following, he'd probably be going off by himself somewhere, off to just kind of something got his attention and would kind of go off into the horizon, find himself lost, shepherd have to go get him, bring him back. And then she'd see something else, maybe a, a, another flock, and he would go off to that flock, and the shepherd have to go and to get him back. But you know what? Our shepherd never gets tired of that because he loves his sheep. He loves his sheep and he has a desire to care for his sheep. How many times have you wandered off? How many times have you wandered off but the Lord went and met you and brought you back? He'll do it every single time. You've got that picture of the prodigal son. He went and wandered off. It wasn't just that he got lost. He made the decision and he wandered off. And what did he end up doing? He ended up sitting in the muck eating pig pods. Pigs are something very unclean, and so that lends power to the pitcher. So he's eating pig food, sitting in the muck, and he realizes, my father's slaves got it better than this. And then when he came back, you saw that reunion. The father saw it, and he ran to him and embraced him. But how did 
the father go and get him? Well, part of the thing what he did is he allowed his son to experience the difficulties of life. Because we're told as he was eating pig pods, he came to himself. He got proper understanding. So God's going to allow you. If you want to go wandering off today, I'm not encouraging you to do so. But if you want to, you can. But don't be surprised when you find yourself eating pig food and sitting in the slime. And God will allow you to sit there for as long as you want to sit there. But sooner or later, you're going to realize the garbage of the world versus the glory of God. And when you come to that understanding, the Father's there waiting for you. Matter of fact, he'll even run and embrace you back into his, his flock. Still waters. Apparently sheep, from what Keller says, sheep are very easily frightened. And if there's a raging brook or stream, they won't go and they won't drink from that because it just unsettles them. And so it's the still waters, that peace and tranquility, that they're able to seek refreshment from. And it's there where the Lord will lead us. Again, verse 3, or verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Secondly, the sheep, those whom the Lord is your shepherd, you receive a restored life. Literally, the good shepherd restores me to health. It's kind of a fallen down and can't get up kind of a thing. Apparently, from what Keller says, if a sheep falls down, especially if it tumbles on its back, it's one of those things, kind of like a, a roly-poly bug. You know how you knock kids, you knock them over, and they'd have to roll up into a ball and roll right side up, but you, know, you kind of laugh as the legs were up in the air. That, that's how it is with a sheep as well. And so he restores, he cares for them. If they should stumble, if they should fall, not going to be able to get up on their own power. But the good shepherd, he's there. And because he cares, he'll set them back upright, moving forward in a good direction. How often have you felt this way in a spiritual sense that you've fallen down and you can't get back up? Well, these are the ones whom the good shepherd will restore back to a proper walk. Remember in John chapter 21, Peter, Peter said he wouldn't do it but he denied the Lord three times. And finally, the Lord's been crucified. Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going back to the old life. But what did the Lord do? The Lord met him back. Because God had greater things for the apostle Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you sacrificially love me? Because Peter said previously, Lord, far be it that you would die. I'll die for you. Peter, do you sacrificially love me? And Peter says, Lord, the best I can do is have a fondness for you. It's all I'm able to offer. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you sacrificially love me? Lord, the best I can do is to sacrificially love you. That's good enough. Feed my sheep. And so what the Lord was doing was meeting Peter in the midst of his sin. He's not mocking him or making fun of him. He's bringing him to that point of reality that Peter is able to move forward in his Christian life and for his Christian service because God's got great plans for this man. But he met him as he wandered off back into the old life. said that he fished all night long and didn't catch anything. Every time you see Peter fishing for fish, he never catches anything. I'm thinking, this guy's going to starve to death unless he comes back to the Lord. But that's how we need to feel about ourselves. Apart from me, John 15, you can do nothing. You, can do, you cannot do anything of any spiritual significance. Thirdly, the sheep, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will receive guidance. He leads me, verse 3, last part, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
If left to themselves, sheep tend to regress to the easiest path, although it could very well be the most dangerous path. We're told that very clearly in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide or easy is the way, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so the shepherd knows the way. And the idea is the sheep that come down into the lower valley during the winter, they're led up to the higher ground during the summer because the snow is melted, and that's where the ideal grazing ground is. Usually it's kind of on a mountain on a mesa, and it will lead them up there, but the danger is in the journey. Isn't that what the Lord's doing in our life? Right now we're on the lower ground, but there's going to be that time that He's going to bring us up, and we're on our pathway to to eternity with the Lord. But on that pathway, it's filled with many dangers. But we must follow Him, and we got to take His guides. We have to go according to His way. What did Jesus say in, 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 Matthew, I'm sorry, in John chapter 14? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When He says, I'm the way, I am the, the one and only way. Man, each of us have gone aside according to our own way. As sheep, we have gone astray. And the Lord... The Lord laid on his, our iniquity upon him because we have taken the wrong path, but God wanted us to bring us in the right path. Christ came, took our sins, and died for us, and now he's our good shepherd. He's our good shepherd that leads us in a direction that is not only safe, but it's just as important. It will lead us to the proper destination. Fourthly, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will receive comfort in times of danger. Look at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, your staff, they comfort me. So a couple things here is just to put it in proper perspective. Although this is a place of real danger for the born-again believer, I walk through the valley of death. I enter into my trials, but also God's got His perfect timing I will walk through and then out of them as well. Death, death is scary, but death is just a shadow. How many times have you been afraid of darkness? Something's frightened you in darkness or something's frightened you in a shadow? Well, a lot of times there was no substance to it. I was taking a shower this morning before church and I had closed the bathroom door. Nobody's home in my house. My wife's at retreat. And all of a sudden, the door in the bathroom opens. I can't see it from the shower. But the door opens, and I'm thinking, oh, my wife's coming. Wait a minute, my wife's not here. There's nobody here. And it kind of makes your heart jump. And so I just kind of looked around the corner, and long story short, I just didn't shut the door all the way, and it just kind of popped open. And so something that scared me, but there was no, no danger there. And it's the same thing in our Christian lives. There's going to be times that you're frightened without a doubt, but if the Lord is your shepherd, what does the next line say? I will fear no evil. I will have no evil that I legitimately need to fear. A picture of life as the sheep travel from the lowlands through to the canyons to the highlands in the summer. Very personal in King David's life as throughout the Psalms, he speaks in the first person. And he understands what God has for the purpose of our protection. He speaks of two instruments here. First is the rod, and then is the staff. Two things that a shepherd would have. The rod would be a weapon. 
It would be more than likely a walking stick. It would probably be as tall, if not taller, than the shepherd. So that, let's just say, well, David speaks of lions and he speaks of bears or, or wolves. I just assumed there were wolves in that area. I don't. Yeah, there was wolves in that area. And so he would use that to not only protect the sheep, but to protect them with a little bit of distance in between himself and the animal that was trying to attack. And the idea is this rod is a weapon. It speaks of power. And for us, it speaks of the word of God that protects us or gives us comfort in times of danger, or at least perceived times of danger. In Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, bring these things to the surface so that these things can be dealt with. And he does so through the word of God. It's sharper, more powerful than any weapon. Then the staff. The staff would be that traditional shepherd's staff. looks like a question mark. You know, it's kind of curved at the top. And the reason it's like that is so if a sheep would fall or fall in a ditch or whatever, he could kind of get it and hook it and pull it out. Again, that staff was there for protection. It's an instrument of comfort. I would imagine, I'm just guessing here, but the sheep, as they would see that shepherd, again, it would give them an element of contentment. For our sake, the rod is the word of God. The staff is the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, we are told, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Then fifthly, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will receive abundant care. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. The idea is that the sheep have come to that upper land, to that table. That word table would be the same word that you've heard used as mesa, that flat place that they're able to go and find that ideal uh, grazing ground. Now when it says prepare more than likely, what a shepherd would do is he gets to this prime grazing ground, he would go through and make sure that there's no poisonous plants or anything that are going to cause harm to the sheep. A friend of mine, we graduated high school, and it was about a year or two after we graduated, his grandfather unfortunately passed away. From what I remember, he lived in Idaho, and this friend of ours, he, in, he inherited a, a, um, a, a dairy and so he was going to move to Idaho and be a dairy rancher. And he moved there, and the first winter, half the cows died. He didn't have a clue what he was doing. I mean, here's this 19-year-old kid that thought he could just go in and play cowboy, and it didn't work out too well. There's necessity that just not set them loose, but to do so wisely. As the Father sends us out, as he sends us out into this life, he goes before us and makes our way straight. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, backing up in the Simon Peter illustration, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Simon, you're going to go through a trial that is going to test the core of who you are. Verse 32, but, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare the way for you, Simon. Peter did fail, but nonetheless, the way was prepared. He didn't die. He, he was brought back into the fold, as we saw John chapter 21, and we know that he was used in an amazing way. And then lastly, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will receive a heavenly dwelling place. Verse 6, 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's really two part. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. The goodness of God and the mercy that I don't receive what it is that I deserve. Sheep, they desire death. I'm sorry, they deserve death. They're constantly going against the flow. They're defenseless. They're wandering away. And you could probably be very well justified if you were a shepherd. Well, they just got what they deserve. How many times have you just gotten what you deserve? I've never really gotten what I deserve. God has been gracious. His goodness and His mercy, it follows after us. Chuck Smith said, he said he was pretty much done with pets at that portion in his life. But he said, if I ever get a dog, I'm going to get two of them. And I'm going to name one goodness, and I'm going to name the other one mercy. and Because I, I know I'll be reminded that they'll be following after me for all the days of my life. David so often makes his point at the beginning, at the end of Psalms, as I told you as we start. You want to know what the Psalms say? We'll look at the first line, look at the last line. The Lord is my shepherd, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. Lord, just this psalm that a lot of us have memorized and all of us have heard before. But, Father, as we look at the depths of it and the richness of it, we see, Father, these things that you have set before us. And, Lord, all of this is because you were crucified. But, Lord, you didn't stay dead. You also arose. And because you arose and, Lord, you are seated on, on the throne, Lord, that we know, we can say that you weren't, were our shepherd, you are our shepherd. That, well, Lord, you watch over us every day of our lives. And because of that, Father, we just thank you and we praise you for your goodness. And so, Lord, just go before us in this day, in this week to come, that you would bless us, that you would use us and be glorified through our humble lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all be seated? Let's be seated.